Welcome to your weekly episode of Reset 42. In each episode, we want to carefully sit with the vulnerability and generosity of a guest who has reset their life. Some have just kicked life into gear again. Others are truly survivors. And we'll speak with people who have dug deep to find their passion and reset to a true north. It all begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This week on Reset 42, I'm quite excited to introduce you to a close friend that I've known for many years. You're going to be hearing from Gavin Hockley. Now, I first met Gavin when he was my youth group leader many years ago. In fact, if I rewind the clock a little bit further, he was also my Sunday school teacher. Now, Gavin was one of the first people to really show me that you can reset, you can look at new career paths, and you're going to hear some incredible stories about some of the decisions that he had to make. Some of them were life-changing decisions. Do we go in this direction or that direction in terms of where we're going to live in the world? And others were more career-based decisions. Gavin's got some great insights. I'm looking forward to sharing his journey with you here on Reset 42. Now here's your host, a lover of lattes, liquor of lollipops, and on the odd occasion listener of Lana Del Rey, it's Andrew S. Pitchford. Well, welcome to Reset 42. This is an interview that I've been really looking forward to. I've known Gavin Hockley from New Zealand for many, many years, and today we're going to find out a little bit about his life, a walk back through history and kind of look at some of the dreams that started in a little country town in New Zealand. Gavin, welcome to Reset 42. It seems funny talking across the ditch like this, doesn't it? Hi, it sure does. Now, tell everybody where Te Aumutu is. Uh, Some have probably heard it in a song here or there, but where in the world are you? Well, I guess we are famous for... uh... The split ends, my sister went uh, to, to school with one of the brothers, but it's a, a little town, a daring community, 30k south of Hamilton, which is 100k south of Auckland. So uh, I've always regarded as the centre of the universe, and uh, it's been yeah, been the centre of my, my life, as it turns out. So it doesn't matter whether you're at Wellingborough in the UK or Nebraska in the US, I can tell you that Apparently in Te Aumutu, New Zealand, calling God is actually a local call. Is that correct? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the things that New Zealand's famous for is the All Blacks. And we know that even Hollywood movie stars like Jason Momoa from Aquaman and Dwayne The Rock Johnson will put on an All Black jersey to support them. How are you feeling as a a rugby supporter with the Rugby World Cup just around the corner, Gavin? I was very reassured after last Saturday night's, um, what is it, 36-0 thumping that maybe we are back on track that uh, game in Perth was uh, a tad upsetting but uh, I with others were sort of confident that they could come back but um, dazzled with the the depth of new players that they could bring in who did so well. It is really interesting for those of you that don't follow the game of rugby it is the the game they play in heaven and one of the things that a lot of passionate rugby supporters they believe that the all blacks at times can do no wrong but any time the four-year rugby world cup comes around there's concern that we might drop at the last minute and uh, for those of you that picked up australia absolutely thumped new zealand just a week and so ago but new zealand came back and, and then won 36 nil at home okay let, let's go back a number of years as we say we jump in the time machine and have a look back to when Gavin Hockley was growing up on a dairy farm in New Zealand. Can you describe to us what life was like then, what the family life was like, and maybe what your hopes and dreams were growing up? In some ways, it was very simple life. 
um, very strong church faith existence in terms of went went to school. Dad was uh, got up half past four in the morning to milk cows, but he was always in by half past seven to have breakfast with us and we'd head off to school and yeah church was 11 o'clock on sunday till we didn't come home till three o'clock and then church on on uh, sunday night um and dad would be off to what's called the prayer meeting on tuesday night and uh, as we grew up there was youth group on saturday night so it was that was very much sort of our world simple in in some ways but uh we learned good disciplines, had strong faith, and that's that's how it yeah how it happened from the start. That's my enduring memories of it. Yeah, you must have had a lot of respect for your dad, and and I guess the funny thing is, it was an age where we didn't have Hollywood celebrities on our phone that we were following. We actually took a lot of cues from family and those around us. Would that be the kind of the journey you were on at the start? Absolutely, Dad. Yeah, Dad was sort of my hero growing up, and Mum Mum was a, an amazing totally uh, given to her kids type of mum and so we were very secure and uh, that that just gave us a good perspective of sort of as we headed into the teenage years and wondering for ourselves you know where where our own journey was going to take us. Now it's interesting that my earliest recollection of us meeting was me as a, a young guy going to a Sunday school where I think you were about 18 years of age leading the Sunday school and and one of the things that absolutely blew me away is that you were waving this big Bible prize for anybody that could learn their their memory verses. And I thought, yeah, there's there's a competition that I'd like to, to win. But you went from there to actually looking later on in life of moving off the dairy farm and going into teaching. Now, tell me what's happening in your life at that time. You, you're married. You've got some children. Yes. By the time, well, when we married, we were on the dairy farm. I had this... R- well, it wasn't a random thought. When I was, when I was at school, I was, I was interested in teaching. And one day I heard a teacher talking to a person behind me saying, oh, look, you've got an application for teacher's college. You still want to follow through with that? And it was on the tip of my tongue to say, yeah, I'd actually really like to do that. But uh, lack of courage at that time, I just let it slip by. And so I left school, ended up farming, farming with dad. And when we got married, dairy farming, and uh, within Clears, we had our elder son Cameron turned up, and yeah, I just became disenchanted with with daring. I thought, nah, I can't can't do that for the rest of my life. Interested in going overseas to do missions work, and so the farm got sold, and we were planning to to go overseas. But in the end, that just wasn't going to happen, and so we shifted into town, did youth work. That would have been a big kind of weighing up time of your life. You kind of, we could go in this direction, we could go in that direction. Can you recall what some of the, the things were that you based your decision on? As far as going to Zambia, like it all seemed to unfold when I thought about getting out of dairy farming and going to Zambia, the farm was soon sold, so that wasn't going to be an issue. We found a place we could shift into town. But the more we talked about it, the more I appreciated Lizzie's unease about that as as what we should do for the future, and and that was that was really hard. And we would uh, look at some events like we both watched Fiddler on the Roof, and I got inspired by the fact that that family suddenly had to be uprooted and head to a country they didn't know where and all the rest of it. And she was just 
devastated and just saw that as just so terrible that the family would have to leave home. So there was a bit of um, disconnection, I guess you would say, between Lizzie and I, and we just worked through it. And in the end, we realised we've got got to work together. And so that wasn't going to work. Uh, The difficulty then was what was plan B. And so, interestingly enough, the youth group leader left at that time and I started working with the youth groups at our local church. And it's amazing because I probably came along um, your life at that time and I can remember yeah. 1983, a, a Ford Cortina station wagon doing the rounds, oh, wow. a home in, in the town which was ideal for a youth group venue for different things. Um, did you feel kind of like you had a united purpose at that point and, and where did the teaching come into into the picture then? Well, we we settled down. We got into the youth work. I did some building in that time. We built a nice big basement, uh, as as you remember, for for the youth youth group. And we had about fifty, sixty people in that. So it was a really cool time in itself. And sort of, I wondered then, well, is this what I'm meant to be a full time youth worker for the church? But that that just didn't really sit with me. It was interesting. I was I was keen at that stage still to do a bit of teaching, and I designed a couple of sessions with the youth group where I did the teaching and um, those very interesting, honest uh, youth leaders that were in amongst it, they just says, oh, we don't really like that. We'd rather just break into small groups and do a lot more sharing. And I sort of thought, oh, okay, so that, that's not going to work out. So I still realise I like the idea of more formal teaching and so while I carried on doing the youth group, I investigated going to Teachers College and um, interesting working with one of the, the guys in our youth group just had this three weeks where we were just going to pray and really consider what, what I should do. And I three weekends in a row, I bumped into people who had ended up starting a youth work or such like and ended up being, being teachers. So um, I took that as a bit of guidance, went ahead and, um, yeah, went into my training. Now, a lot of people will leave secondary school and move straight into university to get some form of degree teaching qualification. But this is actually a little bit further down the track. You're in your 30, early 30s at this time? Yes, we'd had our second son, Hayden, was born. He was a couple of years old, I suppose. So, yeah, I was just, just about turning 30. Uh, yeah, just about 30 at the time. So, yeah, it was, it was a big change. What I like about what we're going to talk about is that this didn't just reset you for life. There's been a couple of other moments along the way where you've been able to make these evaluations and, and decide what to use from your past career and life in order to make other decisions. But where did life go for the next five to ten years after that? Well, I, I did my degree. It was the time of Rogernomics, if that's of any value to you, but I was becoming a, an economics teacher so that was good and it's amazing when I contact the local school when I was finally qualified he said oh you must be psychic or something there's an economics uh, job here for you if you want so I didn't even actually have to apply for it so that, that was really cool um, so I, I carried on teaching did that for about uh, about 15 years and that, that got a bit unsettling I thought oh there's there's got to be something more to do I was interested in pastoral work and at that stage I decided to um, just go part-time teaching and work, work at the local church. Um, and that was good and okay, but um, 
in the end, I went back full-time teaching again for a few more years. As you look back through these years, can you see any underlying drivers, things that really, I mean, in any job, Mm. there's always what we might call the day-to-day or the mundane, but I always feel like there's the ice cream part of the job, Mm. the part that we really love. Where did you find the ice cream part of your career? I love working with young people and I loved, I I ended up, well, I initially wanted to be a history teacher, taught economics and and loved that subject. So being in the classroom, being with the students, I'd say I generally had good relationships with them. I became a dean, enjoyed that side of things. So so that that was really good. And at the same time, just lurking in the back of my mind thinking, maybe there could be something else uh, but it was it was a good it was a good life we uh, enjoyed yeah I did enjoy my years as a teacher so we're talking about sort of got married late 70 in the late 70s um, a training in the 80s and so teaching in the 90s and into 2000 I went back full-time teaching again and then I thought I'd head up more into senior administration that didn't work at the school I was at for a variety of reasons, but there was a job came up 20k south of Tiaomutu in a town called Otoronga, and so I ended up having a job as a deputy principal there for eight years. Yeah, just exploring that for a moment in terms of enjoying doing teaching, enjoying working with youth, mm-hmm. did you feel that you're in control of that decision as something that you're pursuing, or was it just the natural next step in the career? I think it was just the, the natural next next step certainly as I, I look back now I, I just see yeah I've always like was like falling into the youth group work when I left the farm which which I really enjoyed but sort of wasn't quite enough and then I got into the teaching and I really enjoyed uh, working with the young people and sort of it's, it's amazing how often I just catch up with people oh Mr Hockley and uh, we'll have a chat and um, yeah it's nice to think that you've had some impact in their lives or they've still got some reasonably positive uh, attitude towards you but so yeah that that's that's just been that interesting thing that kept going um although i found with the deputy principal job all of the administration was required that that got that got really hard that was that wasn't really so much in my gift gift mix and some of the some of the roles you have to pay, sort of like the sergeant major and working with, with young people, I, I found that quite hard. Right now, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, teetering with expectation listening to this episode and wanting more. If you feel the same, then sign up for our email newsletter at www.andrewpitchford.com forward slash reset 42. So as you're going through this period of time, are you starting to reevaluate in terms of where life is going to be in five or 10 years' time? I know for myself, Cheryl and I will talk about the, the retirement dream is the beach house, the opportunity to have a window overlooking the ocean writing books. Are you kind of looking out any further than just right in front of you? Well, it was interesting. I got, I got to my 60th birthday and decided to put on a party for that and in my speech there I happened to allude to my favorite bible character who's Caleb who when he was 85 said you know give me the hill country I I want to go out there's more things that I really want to do and as I considered my job as a deputy principal and only being 60 and thinking 
wow, 25 years ahead, that, that almost, that, 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 was, that was not a very pleasant thought and it, it caused me to do a lot of soul searching, thinking, is this job really sustainable? Am I really, really enjoying it? Um, and I knew I wasn't, I was, I was enduring it, I was, I was toughing it out. Uh, I think I was still making a reasonable job, but that, that wasn't why I figured I should be doing it. I saw enough people in teaching who got older and sort of, they were not relevant to young people anymore. I was, I was wary of that. But also just the energy required, you know, 70, 80 emails a day and just always at the beck and call of everyone in, in the work as a deputy principal. Uh, it just just wasn't enjoyable, and I an interesting thing at the same time, and it happened. It had started about ten, twelve years before when one of my sons was having some issues, and I heard the speaker who was a counsellor, and I thought, oh, that's that's really cool. I'll, I'll get these tapes and get him to listen to them. But as it turned out, he didn't listen to them, but I listened to them, and I and with my commute to Otrahonga, I listened and listened, and I thought this is an, an amazing job. So I headed into this process where on one hand, I was really increasingly frustrated with the job. And on the other hand, I had this interest in counselling. And uh, although it just sort of seemed like a, a bridge too far, but my jobs came to a, a crisis, I guess you say. And, and uh, I thought, oh, I've just got to quit. Interesting enough, I, uh, I rang up. I knew I needed to ring one of my sons and it turned out to be yeah, Hayden and my, my middle son and I had a talk and he told, he told me off that I just can't quit and da, 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 I needed to be positive about where I was, was heading and that was quite an interesting conversation but it, it helped sit me down and think, yeah, it's, it's not about giving up on something I'm finding so frustrating. I need to head into something I really want to do and that little stirring about the counselling dream came to the fore and while in time frame I cut it fine I want to work at Bethlehem I contacted Bethlehem Tertiary Institute and they allow you to study online and so I contacted them I was just in time to do the next semester intake to do a couple of papers to see if I liked it and so I started doing that and the amazing thing was I still had my full-time job as a DP which was normally exhausting but I'd come to nine o'clock at night when I finally had some space to do these two papers, and it just energised me. I just, I just loved it, and I knew that's where I had had hit. So at that stage, I handed my resignation. That was in the end of 2015. So that was my year as a 60-year-old, which was very interesting. And so the following year, I started full-time studying and did relief teaching as well because we weren't we didn't have the cash flow to to just sort of stop working and, and be a full-time student i didn't want to get a, a huge loan or anything like that so we head in that direction i want to explore um this work ethic aspect that came from your history because i can imagine for anybody when you're in a job you feel like you have a duty to the job that you should pursue it and, and you should as you say don't quit so is there a kind of a mindset that you've got to work through in terms of guilt in order to pivot and move to something else? Uh, there must be an element of risk in making that decision that you have to weigh up and decide how to pursue it. Oh, that's an interesting 
it's an interesting question, especially when you use the word guilt. It could be an interesting combination of yeah, definitely guilt. There, I don't, I don't like having days off, but uh, the reality was twenty odd years. I got overactive thyroid and I had to have some time off school. That was that was really hard. But um, I yeah, I haven't had a day off teaching in in the last. 10, 12 years as as it's turned out and although I, as I look back I should have taken some time off at a time so it wasn't always a healthy mindset in terms of just carrying on I don't know where that, that line is but I certainly yeah believed and worked out that you pushed yourself until you did actually drop as such but um, I think part of my counselling, the wonderful thing about a counselling degree is you do investigate at quite a deep level about what you think about yourself and how you need to look after yourself and if you don't sort out things for yourself you're certainly not going to be in the right frame to help other people work through their issues. So that, that's been an interesting process as I, as I look back in some ways I was um, I'd, I'd sometimes describe my dad as a tough old coot, but yeah, you know, the apples don't fall far from the tree as it turns out. And so, yeah, sometimes I was just too hard on myself and obviously others. So as you look back retrospectively, I'm seeing a pattern where it seems like you feel in control or have the ability to control those decisions. Mm -hmm. But were there moments where actually it actually felt out of control? Mm -hmm. I don't know what decision yeah. to make. And there are outside factors that are actually too much for me to yep. bear. How have you dealt with those? That, that's that's when uh, faith has come back to the thing that, okay, God, you are in control. This doesn't seem to make sense. But I believe you are there for me and I will just push through and almost, I'd describe it sometimes as almost like a zombie state where you're just going through the moments and doing stuff but yeah, there's there's no heart or soul really going into what what, what you're doing uh sad to say i'm i've been a um an avid journalist for a long time uh 20 last 25 years just writing through and as i look back at a lot of that stuff it seems pretty dark and all the rest of it, but being just being able to talk to god about how hard i was finding it and then looking for ways to, to, to push through and I, I read my bible every day and I, I just find that quite amazing at times where it's a bit like the gold prospect uh, there isn't a lot of gold there but every now and then something does turn up and it's very valuable i guess i'm grateful i've had a good good marriage uh, lizzie and i are, are good mates and we work through things together so and that that's the other interesting things woman's intuition is one of the most amazing gifts out there and she knew when i was really struggling too much i guess you'd say and 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 she had really uh, talked to me and and really support me in a wonderful way so that, that's it's been a blessing too so when you you look on where you are today kevin do you see this as a series of linear events that are connected at different pivot points in your life or do you look at it as a series of layers that lead to who gavin is today De definitely the layer more the layers kind of 
thing, as, as I say to a, a friend of mine, I'm living living the dream. And, and so whether it's even, the, even the, the farming, the management side of farming and just being able to have a lot of stuff on your plate and be comfortable working through it. So from the daring time, working with the, the young peoples and getting into teaching and so on, it's, it's all just built, I guess, but like that layers, sediment layers, they've all, all just been valuable as I look back now and just who, who I am and today. And so, uh, yeah, there, there, would, there would be more where, where I'd uh, assess my life. So as I look back on the life that I've known Gavin Hockley, there are so many different people that are connected to you, and I can imagine the the number of students through the college teaching and deputy principal days is going to be numerous. But can you look back and see some kind of keys that are the fruit of your life that you look back and go, that has made life I, worth living? Yeah, to, to me, life worth living is, is, is really connecting with somebody. And it's you know one of those those love languages that you can really have a, a great conversation. I've I've never been one of those blokey guys to sit in the pub and tell stories and stuff like that. I I'd rather just sit down with a coffee and have a really good conversation. And I realise that that's that's the essence of who I am. That's why counselling so wonderful. I'm working with young people still, but instead of a classroom with a mixed bag of those who really don't want to be there and a few that do want to be there. You've got somebody who's come to you who wants to share their story and that, that has just been so wonderful for me in, in this journey, just um, having that amazing privilege. It's but like coming into a holy place, so to speak, where they just want to talk and share about their life and um, that I see is... Is, is, is one of the things that really, really blesses me, just really connecting really well and really deeply with people. Well, Gavin, I think you've got an incredible story to tell. I think there's a lot of people in life who, maybe it's early on in their career, and particularly there's a lot of people that change jobs mm. or even um, change their study course because they're not really sure what they want to be. Mm. And what I like about your story is that you've been able to build on each of those moments and then take it into what you do love, which, as you say, is connecting and having an impact on young people. Thank you for joining us on Reset 42. This has been another opportunity to look at how we can reset life and just another example of the different ways in which people can do that. So if you like the podcast, please do go, whether it's on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use, and do leave us a review. We'd love other people to find out about these stories and be able to share them with their friends. And we look forward to joining you again soon on Reset 42. Thanks for joining us on Reset 42. Now, before you go without leaving a tip for your waitress, please remember to subscribe and leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Visit us online to share the episode. Show notes are found wrapped with a bow at www.andrewpitchford.com forward slash Reset 42.